Welcome to the JLA Cask, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And we're back. We are back. We're back. We're here. We apologise for the the, the brief um, disruption uh, to, to your regularly scheduled programming. Um, we're... we're Life got in the way. It does that. Life is complicated and it gets in the way and it's frustrating. It just needs to be simpler. It's like the exact opposite of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Life did not find a way. Life in got instance. in our way. Life got in our way, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and case in point, we've just spent uh, a delightful half an hour kind of with the mics, well, on for us, but off for you. Just catching up, basically. Yeah, you know, because yeah, there's stuff to catch up on. Yeah, it's always always a pleasure. Uh, oh no, it genuinely is, PJ. And uh, should we talk about the elephant in the room? Let's do it. Yeah, the uh, the immense sway we hold, uh, you know, over the uh, traditional comics publishing yeah industry. Uh, it couldn't possibly be a coincidence. Not at all. No way. PJ, what's the big news? Next year, 2024, DC are re-releasing. A trade paperback of JLA Year One, the very book we are currently looking at, because the big wigs at DC they listen to our podcast. They know which way the wind is blowing. How could they not listen? I mean, we're arguably the number one uh, DC slash uh, Kurt Music and George Perez's Avengers slash Grant Morrison themed podcast out there. Are we the only one? We might be the only one. We might be the only one. <laughs> like uh, they say, uh, the key to success is is knowing your audience, and we do know our audience, but it is niche. It is very niche. <laughs> it's it's men and women of a certain age with a certain fondness for very specific runs on certain comics. Indeed, indeed, and I, I'm just very glad we got in there early with you know JLA casks as a title yes. rather than just. Um, JLA cask, no, not as a whole concept, but just that one very specific run cask, <laughs> the show. Um, but yeah, so um, it's funny, though, because I think as we established in chatting, I think we're both reading from the same edition of the trade paperback. Yeah, yeah. The the original version they put out with the big orange cover that I bought brand new at the time. And it's a little worn. Here and there, a little bit of curling on the cover, and the um, I don't know there was a period where graphic novels that they had quite a cheap cardstock covers, and the the sort of outer plastic edging started starts peeling away here and there, mm-hmm. and that is happening well, very slightly on mine. It's it's not in bad condition for a twenty five year old graphic novel, but yeah. Well, I um, it's it's weird because obviously um. As as we've as been well documented, I didn't read this at the time, uh, and you know the edition I'm holding, which I, I believe is the same. It says uh, first edition May 1999, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, mine's in immaculate condition. And I think this was a second hand I got off, uh, got online. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, not that I'm not happy to see it getting reprinted, but I'm like, there's not much wrong with this one. <laughs> Is it just there aren't enough in the world kind of, uh, well, I, you know, I, for new readers? I don't think it's been in print for a while. I think it was released in two volumes when uh, the... Who was it? Either Eagle Moss or Hachette Parkworks. One of those companies was putting out like the the DC collection or whatever, mm. where it's like these these hardcover things where it was the essential stories and the spine would form a lovely picture on your shelf. I know JLA Year One was part of that, but I think other than that, it hasn't really been in print for a while. And because of this incredible swell, this huge uprising <laughs> of people wanting to read it because of how much we're talking about it on our podcast. DC have real, no choice but to put it back in print. Okay, it was a real uh, kind of um, grassroots movement, basically. Um, yeah, it's funny though, but 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 again, as 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 I said on a previous episode, um, having recently gone into a comic shop, which I, I know is, is a shocking shocking thing to to do as a host of a where did you even find podcast. one these days? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Um, this so-called, like the Great American Songbook, like this kind of classic library of superhero comics, um, it's just not there anymore. Mm. Like, and I know that times change and the world moves on. That's how things work. I'm not trying to be too much of an old man about it, but like, I kind of assumed that like a reader out there would want to kind of know their history, and these would be these kind of key moments. But um, I don't know. I'm glad they're reprinting it. The question is like it. Is anyone going to stock it? <laughs> like, is well, the appetite there? I mean, I feel like it must be. Why would they put? And there's been some excitement I've seen online though, where people have gone, "Oh, I haven't read this, and I've wanted to for a while, and now they're they're putting it out." Great. I mean, it it is a weird one for modern DC to be putting out because it bears no resemblance to current continuity in DC comics at all. But um, yeah, so they must just be putting it out as a curio, I guess. One of those, like you say, for people who do want to dive into the history, which is something I... I think back in the day when I was buying comics, I would buy my monthly stack of, of floppies, but then I'd go hunting for trades of older stories just that I'd heard about but never read that really wanted to. And, you know, well, you... words like mutant massacre and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You, you'd always hear about, you know... I think getting everything would have been like a hell of an undertaking, mm. but like um, there'd, there'd be these key kind of like pivotal moments on the timeline that you would go, oh, yes, well, that's an important thing to own. That's an important thing to own because yeah. they 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 kind of, they still echoed across the stories you were reading, yeah. but not, not in a way where like if you hadn't read them, you had no idea what was going on. Um, it, it did seem to be like quite a, quite a nice approach to continuity you could always reference these things and they'd have like they'd have consequences which which would affect the story but not in a way where oh god like it's a complete barrier to entry if i haven't read this particular obscure story from two decades ago or so on or so forth yeah exactly exactly do you suppose is it is it too much of a conspiracy theory to imagine that this has anything to do with the new cinematic universe because if mm. they're kind of drawing a line in the sand, which, you know, actually, now I say it out loud, how fitting that the DC Cinematic Universe would be the first to reboot. Um, <laughs> but, like, um, obviously, DC, part of Warner Brothers, very closely linked um, in, in in the publishing 
world trying to mirror the movies. Maybe if the films are going to be going to a more kind of brighter, dare I say it, silver agey kind of vibe, then getting these books back on the shelf might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Familiarise the audience with who these characters are. Yeah, that's that's a good good shout. Because uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly what the plans are for all of the DC films. I know James Gunn has said, you know, any of this DC stuff coming out before... I think it's the Creature Commandos TV show and the Superman Legacy film. None wait, of that is... Sorry, sorry, wait, hang on a minute. Sorry, Creature Commandos? Yeah, they're doing a Creature Commandos animated series. I think it's animated, uh, which is going to be officially part of the, the canon of the new DC universe. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know, exactly. And I think that's the first thing. I think that comes out before Superman Legacy. So... <laughs> bizarre, like absolutely bizarre. That's that's more left field than Iron Man being the start of your cinematic universe. Yeah, wow, crying out loud. So, yeah, but it means that all this DC stuff that's coming out at the moment isn't canon, as it were. So, yeah. Yeah, because obviously um, Aquaman 2... There have been trailers for. I don't believe it's out yet. No, it's not. No. Although, frankly, I'm at a point now where you could have you could turn around now, PJ, and say, "No, no, it's been out for three weeks," <laughs> yeah. and I believe you. Like <laughs> it, it, th- th- things are going by so quickly. I know. And I've the general kind of conversation I've heard around Aquaman, which is very anecdotal, is simply like a, a kind of not only are the audience kind of like ambivalent. Apparently, word is that Warner Brothers themselves are ambivalent about it. Like, apparently, they've spent very little on marketing mm. because it's almost like, why bother? Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Uh, um, even though, of course, Jason Momoa has been one of the the more well received members of the DC cast, I suppose. Well, the rumor is that um, I think James Gunn has officially said that only three people from the existing DC. Uh, film universe is going to be carrying on in the same roles and that's um viola davis as amanda waller which yeah fair because she is i mean she's brilliant in everything oh, she, yeah, she's viola perfect, davis, yeah. absolutely fantastic so that is that's brilliant um oh i've completely forgotten his name and i feel awful about it because i think he's brilliant as well but the guy who's playing blue beetle oh okay um, sure sure Sholo, oh, i can't remember his last name i'm so sorry but yeah he, he will be continuing as blue beetle and then a third person. I can't remember. And a third person. Oh, really? So I, I thought you were going to say, like, I don't know, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, no. and Shazam Ban. But what James Gunn has said is that you probably will see Jason Momoa in the new universe, but it won't be as Aquaman. So everyone thinks he's going to be Lobo. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay, that's that. Wow. Yeah, that's that would be good casting. Oh, I guess like John Cena. That's the other one. I think Peacemaker. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, having seen the Suicide Squad, I haven't seen the Peacemaker TV show. He was very good in it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen either yet. I I need to. Um, I want to. I, I'm trying to catch up on all the DC movies. Just none of them excited me. So I'm sort of only watching yeah. them when I get the chance. And so it kind of feels a little bit like a a, a chore. Maybe. I, I mean, I really want to see the Suicide Squad. I do. I have reservations, but I do want to see The Flash just because of Michael Keaton. Yeah. I love those first two Batman films that he did. So just to see him in that role again, I would love. Um, oh, PJ, sorry. I, just because you're, you know, you, this you might find this interesting. 
Uh, we saw some friends last night, mm. and they had regular British standard television on mm. on a Saturday evening. Uh, sorry, sorry for anyone listening who doesn't live in the UK. I think I know like, what you're about to tell me, but <laughs> did you did you watch that quiz show? Michael McIntyre's The Wheel. Yes, we we we're, we're, we're avid viewers. We watch it every oh, week. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I didn't even know this show existed. It was absolutely bizarre. Like honestly, like the look on my face the whole time. So I tell you what, this this show came about because of COVID. The BBC was saying, "What can we still do in COVID?" Because if you see, everyone sat really far apart, so they put together this format so that they could still have this quiz show on yeah. a Saturday night yeah. without for, people having to get close to each other. For context, for anyone who doesn't know what this is. It, it has to be seen to be believed. It is like a super villain esque death trap. Like it's a studio set, but the whole thing moves like it's on some giant sinister clockwork. So it's basically a roulette wheel. Yeah. But they've got celebrity guests in kind of pod chairs sitting around the edge of the wheel. And then there's like a kind of hell dimension under the wheel <laughs> where three contestants are scored on their own spinning wheel. Yeah. And then occasionally these two kind of diabolical mechanisms align and like Thunderbirds or, or like a kind of toy man or arcade construction. Um, a contestant gets like shot out of a hole in the ground. Yeah. And then they're... Ch- it's, it's insane. It's... It, it, yeah. Um but yeah, there was a question about Batman, the Batman movies. Yeah, it was which actor was the youngest when when he first played Batman, wasn't it? And it was Michael and Keaton, the... Robert Pattinson, Christian Bale, or Ben Affleck. And yes. I wasn't sure because I was like, oh, it's either Pattinson or or Bale. I, or I, I I went Pattinson, but I was like, Bale's only there because he's the right answer. That but oh. so, yeah. I got I I got Bale, Christian Bale, right. The answer is Christian Bale. Everyone. Yeah, it is. Hi, Chris, it is. Christian I looked Bale's it up. Young... Christian Bale was about thirty-four, and I think Robert Pattinson was like thirty-six. So, well, my my logic was because they give you these four Batman, and I'm like, well, it's not Ben Affleck because no. he's an old he's an older gentleman. But I was thinking it's almost like weird psychological mind game because I'm thinking like Michael Keaton is an older man now. Yeah. So you look at him and you think, oh, he's old. But Robert Pattinson, you look at him and you think, oh, he's super young because your brain thinks the Twilight movies. So in a way, I thought the two of them were kind of like red herrings to make your brain just go, old man, young man. Yeah. Like, uh, and then I was like, no, I'm not going to fall for this. And, I, and by a process of elimination, I was like, I don't know, Christian Bale. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't think of anything to say. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we, we watch that show every week. <laughs> well, there we go. It's a complete education for me. And it, it's wild to say that for someone who like reads as much comics as I do, that is still one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I know. <laughs> Speaking of um, kind of um, just collected editions, before I forget, PJ, I know on a previous episode we talked about um, Peter David's run on the Hulk. Yes. Yeah, and I was trying. I, I apologize if I brought this up on air before. I genuinely can't remember. But I was trying to do a bit of research to see whether I could like. Um, get hold of the collected editions mm. like trade paperbacks because i've got i've got a few of my uk collector's editions by panini of the tail end of the peter david run and yeah. they were so good that i was like oh man wouldn't it be great to like get some of the trades preserve it, them for all times and i read um i read an article i believe it was on i did a i was doing some googling and i think i found an article on geekdad.com which was trying to explain 
how to own the Peter David run in trade paperbacks because it is so much more complex than you think it is. Yeah. And you might know about this, Peter, because you're very knowledgeable when it comes to this. But, like, they were talking about how there are, like, these... Marvel did these kind of ultimate, but not the ultimate universe, like, ultimate omnibus editions Mm. of, like, classic characters. Yeah. But they start... So, say, like, you wanted, like, the Hulk... Volume 1 is, like, 1963 onwards... So, like, they're saying if you wanted to, like, own the Peter David run, you'd have to start with, like, volume 17 mm. or something like that. And I did a bit of Googling, and there you can't get one of these books for less than, like, 120 quid. Yeah. Which is quite steep. Yeah. Um, and then there's also said they Marvel did a Visionaries series. I have the first five volumes, I think, of Hulk Visionaries Peter David, and oh. that just gets you to the end of the Grey Hulk period of it. Um, Interesting. But then I don't think they stayed in print for that long because after I got volume five, I was looking for volume six and I can only find it secondhand at inflated prices. I haven't looked for a while, to be fair, but yeah. yeah. Well, based on this article, and, and I don't blame the article, but like I read it and I still found it confusing because it seems like they may not have fully completed the Visionary series. That wouldn't and surprise then me. there was like a couple of volumes somewhere in the middle where apparently Marvel just didn't print as much right like i don't know they printed like i don't know let's pick a number like ten thousand of volume two but then only printed like 500 of volume three or something like that so so i don't know it's kind of weird it's weird to think that there might be a chunk of what i consider to be comics history that in a weird way is almost lost yeah unless you get it digitally yeah it's it just gets like i was looking sort of related um I was buying, because IDW had the Transformers license for many, many years, and now Mm. they've lost it. It's gone to um, Skybound Media, Robert Kirkman's company. Oh, interesting. But I was buying the, they do the the big hardbacks, um, the IDW collection, where Mm. it'll collect the whole run in a massive, in these massive hardbacks where you, and you're in like chronological order. So I was buying, I've been buying them for their Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and Sonic the Hedgehog comics. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but the Transformers ones, they didn't finish. Like they rebooted the Transformers. They got to like the end of the story and started it over again. So when I heard that it was like they were being bought, I was like, as long as I get to the end of that story, and if I don't get the reboot stuff, fine. But they didn't. And then I was like, right, okay. So what I need to do, I've got the final volume, and I now need to look at what trades I need to get to finish it and finish the story and my god i one finding a list that makes any sense at all to me is ridiculous and then two finding those trades for affordable Mm. prices is just stupid so i'm never going to have the complete transformers run from idw Mm. yeah because it's like there's wanting a complete collection and then there's going it's like over a hundred quid for a book or something like yeah. that and i'm like uh yeah how much do i really want it because that seems excessive yeah but what annoys is because i've already got like 30 of these books and now i can't finish it and i'm there going this i mm, i don't and now i'm there going well do i just sell these because i can't finish it what am i gonna do so mm. yeah it's it's tough being a comic collector sometimes well it is isn't it particularly when 
in a bizarre way, all you want to do is buy a book. Yeah. Like, in many ways, you should be the publisher's dream. Like, all they have to do is click print and you would buy it. It doesn't need, like, special features. It just has to be affordable and available. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not unsympathetic to the idea that, like, Marvel and DC are in a pretty unique yeah. situation where they have so much content. Like, they can't... Oh, I don't know, maybe they can, but, like, it feels like you can't realistically print everything again. Yeah. But they have kind of released almost everything digitally, haven't they? So it's not like they don't have a library somewhere. Well, I... and. There's no reason that I can see why, obviously, the IDW thing, that's different. They've lost the license. Fine. But I don't see why Marvel or DC can't have, like, a catalogue of old trades you could maybe go through Hmm. that they have a print-on-demand service for. Yeah, yeah. I guess the sad fact is it probably comes down to, there's probably a spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. Which means that, like, I don't know, it's just not financially viable even you know they could look at it and go like ah well you know we could make pennies but why make pennies when we could be making pounds yeah well yeah still at least i've got all the books i bought in the 90s well indeed yes and i'll never the trick now yeah the secret now is of course never to part with them yeah um i'm looking i'm looking across at my shelf now and of course i've got like you know my I've got my DC trades, you know, I've got Marvel stuff over the years, got the more esoteric stuff, got the Vertigo books. And it's like, I'm so glad I do because, yeah, that stuff's kind of getting maybe less and less relevant to the wider yeah. market as it, as the years go by. Yeah. And, you know, with the, let's face it, I think it's probably still there, but with the, no, it's not, is it? With the death of comicsology and how that all works now is just you can't really it's hard to do it digitally as well so it is hard to do it digitally and i I, and i think in some ways echoing the fall of um social media which it does very much feel like um a quaint concept now um it's almost like stuff's going to become less centralized again Mm. like amazon completely destroyed comiXology yeah um and then even now we get, you know, we see, you know, spokespeople at conventions who are trying to promote the next big thing, like the next big comicsology killer, yeah. so to speak. But I, I, I'm just remaining so sceptical as to even whether that model is in any way profitable or I, beneficial. I think the problem is everyone's seen what happened with comicsology, and everyone who built up these huge digital collections has now seen, oh, I it's gone. You know, yeah, I could still download it on the Kindle app, but yeah. It's not it's not the same. So yeah. Yeah, and it and it's always funny isn't it because like I think one of these many, you know, the would-be king new new platforms, I think is has been set up by a couple of um ex-comicsology employees mm. or something like that. Clearly whatever anti-competition things amazon made them sign has expired but it's it's so weird to kind of like have another bite of the cherry like yeah because you know we've seen some of these kind of um pitches where they go oh here's the benefits to you if you join with us oh pj yeah this is a bizarre one we we have this one company go hey it'd be great if you got involved with our new digital comics platform and they sent us over like a little pitch deck Mm. or whatever i say this not because we're special by the way i'm saying this because 
they're sending this to everyone yeah. who makes a comic because like Netflix, they need content. They mm. need a lot of it. But um, one of the features is they were bragging about is that they can put sponsored content into your comic. Why would you want that? Their example, and I kid you not, was like on the left, comic before product placement comic on the right products comic after product placement and it was literally like a can of coke appearing in the artwork why would anyone want oh my god but that was it it was like you send us your artwork and we do all the hard work you You don't even have to worry about work and we'll ruin it yeah you don't even have to worry about formatting and it was as jarring as you would imagine like jesus uh, yeah i was like oh um no, thank you. I think I'm fine. This is the thing. I feel like digital media these days is with your streaming services or your your comics online, all that stuff is is harder and harder because the streaming services, as they have demonstrated recently, can just they can just take stuff off whenever they want and you can't get it. Or your your digital platform can be subsumed into something worse that had a lot more money, and mm. it's just so dangerous. So physical media for me is is really sort of. I'm I'm back in a big way in in buying and enjoying physical media, but then the issue with that is I don't have space. Yeah. So, but yeah. again, but this this is so funny because obviously, like stuff moves quicker. Like in, we've seen so much change in the last decade. Mm. Um, but yeah, like to see Comicsology rise, fall, you know, crash and burn so spectacularly in that time. Like it's the same with web comics. I mean, you know, in the olden days, everybody had their own personal website that's just how you did it you know what you there was no central platform we've seen the rise of things like tapas webtoons yeah you know, um you know even just like you know why bother setting up a website that's a hassle have someone else do it but then those platforms have got a, a slew of problems associated with copyright and ownership and yeah. small print where you know tapas at one point was claiming that they had a part ownership of anything that was published on their platform um, and, and and then we're kind of seeing people going like, man, wouldn't it be great if I had my own website that like, you know, yeah. I, that only published my comic and it's kind of gone full circle again. Yeah. Yeah. A great decentralization. <laughs> oh, it's all a mess. It's Comics, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but PJ, wouldn't, wouldn't like, uh, the new edition of JLA year one, wouldn't that be improved if we could just have a little can of Coke? Or a little bag of Cheetos in every panel. What? It's like the the cover to the uh, the issue we're looking at today. You mean with Aquaman <laughs> and Hal Jordan under the sea being attacked and crushed by a horde of evil creatures, but Aquaman is drinking a delicious Pepsi. Yeah, and what if like you just added speech bubbles to all the, all the evil fish, going like, "Man, I wish I had a Pepsi." Don't hog it all, guys. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That would be better. It would be so much better. Um, but hey, welcome back to uh, the JLA cast, where we ostensibly talk about uh, oh, JLA. I'm so sorry, folks. That was 25 minutes of two old men moaning. So. No, no, PJ. PJ, look, if they're, if, they're, if they're here at episode 86, they've had days worth of two old men moaning. It was better in our day. It was, everything was fine back then. Oh, geez. Anyway, yes, JLA year one. Yeah, we're back for um, part nine, I want to say. Do you know what? I can never remember which issue number we're on because in the trade doesn't actually tell you. It just reprints the cover art but doesn't tell you which issue it is. Well, yes, indeed. And uh, thankfully, that's why I have my spreadsheet, PJ. Well, so, yes. good. Uh, I'm glad you do. 
It's open here. Uh, issue 9, Change the World, as published in September 1998. There we go. There we go, indeed. Um, <laughs> a young John had just turned 12, I want to say. Uh, whereas young PJ was 16. You were uh <laughs> you were you were you were driving a car, PJ. You were uh oh, you know, no. you were running a small business at that I, age. Well, I was uh, not going to my A level lessons. That's what I was doing. <laughs> PJ. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. No, I uh, I think I picked the wrong A levels to be honest. I didn't really enjoy it. But anyway. Hey, you turned out all right. I was going and buying comics instead. <laughs> yeah, like I said, and now and now you're a dad. Everything works out fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but PJ, where on earth were we? What's been happening in the pages of JLA? Well, uh, locusts are doing their bad stuff, and they've uh, managed to get Simon Carr under his control, under their control rather, and he's done a murder um, at, right outside the JLA's <laughs> cave. And the JLA have also found out that Jean has been spying on not just them, but all the other superheroes of Earth, and collecting files on them. And they tried to stop Jean escaping, but he he managed to to sneak out of that cave, the wily fox. And now they're convinced Jean is working with Locus as well. Yes, because, of course, this did all begin with an alien invasion, the Appalachians. Yep. And, um, you know, each member of the League took down one Appalachian warrior. Uh, also, Superman, you know, who sir not appearing in this scene... Uh, also took down Appalachian, so they're thinking to themselves, oh man, what if there were like extra warriors that we didn't know about, and Zhong's an alien? So, of course, the finger of suspicion is saying, hmm, what if he was one of the aliens? What if he was one of the Appalachians? So, not a lot of trust going around at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a bad time to be in the league. Yeah, and uh, and like I said, um, it ended with um, like you said, PJ. It ended with a with a murder, with a with a moider on the doorstep of the um, JLA's kind of dank seaside cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the poor little poor little what's his name that fellow who had such a tragic life. Anderson, um, Bobby, Robert. Yeah, him, Bob, Rob, Bob, Bobby. Oh God, I've broken. <laughs> <laughs> him. Um, he he was going to go and tell the JLA. All about what was going on with Locus, revealed all their plans to him, but instead Simon Carr did a shooting. So yes, so clearly PJ, uh, if there was any doubt, uh, the big sinister mastermind who's been pulling the strings this whole time is most definitely Simon Carr. Most definitely. Uh, So yeah, so of course, um, from that uh, kind of cliffhanger ending... Uh, we open with um, Simon Carr uh, in bed. Yeah, and um, there's just images of, of we start on his face and then we pull out, so we've got his full body in bed and then we pull out presumably to his lovely little apartment and then the city and then the world and then a big red finger pointing at the world <laughs> saying, this is my home. And I do remember the first time I read this going, Despero? Uh, Gem, son of Saturn. It's no, he doesn't have those pointy fingernails. He's a shapeshifter. Be no, wait, <laughs> he's not. Yes, he is. He he's... is. No, yeah. Um, no, Gem, yes. son of Saturn, isn't a shapeshifter. Hmm. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to do a Google. We Gem... really could... no. Everyone can just wait. We can't. Son <laughs> of Saturn. There we go. We, we can't continue until we know the answer. Gem. Uh 
Right. Powers. Where's his powers? Okay, here we go. This is riveting. Powers and abilities. Jem is super strong and has the power of flight. He is also a telepath and possesses the ability to fire psychokinetic energy discharges from the organic gemstone in his head. His gemstone is known as the Mark of Jargon. Jargon the Mighty is alleged to have brokered peace between the red and white races. Unlike green Martians, red Saturnians like Jem cannot shapeshift. They are capable of rapid cellular regeneration. There we go. You see, that was my confusion, PJ, because, of course, who could forget, after the Joker blew a hole in Jem's shoulder in the pages of Rock of Ages, uh, I think John made some mention about how his alien physiology was attempting to heal or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is it canonical that the Saturnians are like an evolutionary offshoot of the Martians? I think they must be because they're also white Saturnians and they can shapeshift. Uh, and apparently they can also meld with inanimate matter. I don't want to see that. Um, but also, according to the article I'm looking at, like Martians, all Saturnians are psychologically vulnerable to fire. Oh, well, there it is. So, there it is. Yeah. yeah, there you go. They'd have to be. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, of course, this is absolutely Despero pointing <laughs> pointing at Earth. <laughs> Earth. Oh, we go on some diversions, don't we? Yes, big red finger. And then we see... So, okay... This next panel, is this supposed to be the guy who's who's talking and narrating and pointing at Earth going, oh, I'm going to go there? Because it's like a, a big red head on a tree trunk of some kind. Yeah, or or um, like a like a plinth, almost suggesting that like he doesn't have a body. But I don't know. Maybe maybe this would make sense if we read the original like issue you know yeah the, the very first appearance of the jla like well, maybe no I've, I've read their first appearance that's them fighting starro but i've never read the actual origin which they didn't oh, tell for a while sorry. later no oh my god that's how I, that's how i would have failed in a pub quiz yes of course an idiot. <laughs> yeah this is all referred to isn't it um, yeah yeah um, but i don't know so maybe there was like a little red head in like i don't know I don't mark know. wade is you know not the kind of thing to just make something up if there's a particular thing they could reference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, this this guy's talking about the seven warriors he directed to Earth, uh, the battleground that they would use to determine who would be inheriting the Empire. And you see the seven Appalachians that the JLA fought individually and then came together to battle as well as the one Superman fought. In you know, the and of, of course, PJ, you know, as we all know, the classic alche- alchemical elements, you know, you've got water... <laughs> Fire, lightning, wood, rock, crystal, and bird. And bird. <laughs> I you know, that there's just this bird. big golden bird, and then. <laughs> Which is weird, of course, because I, out of all the Appalachians, I feel that bird has had the most mileage. Because you know, that's the one that cameos in um, in the main Justice League. Book. It's, yeah, it's it's the one that Locus were like, this is this guy here. This is the thing. This big we're golden to, bird. That's what we're, we're on gonna... to a winner here with yeah. that bird. Uh, but yeah, so apparently it was like a kind of um, battle royale. That was the scenario with these Appalachian champions going down. Um, it's, it's certainly an interesting and weird take on like an invading alien race that they're all so different, I suppose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then, so you see the meteorites that brought them to Earth falling falling to the planet, and then he says, I follow, and here's a meteor fly, flies down. But then he's like, but, 
before they can have their big fight, they're beaten by mere metacarbons. Humiliating. It's just humiliating. And you see shots of the individual League members battling their individual alien monsters. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, not just carbon, PJ, but metacarbon. I know. That's that's carbon with powers. Yeah, less filling, too. Um, <laughs> so uh, that... You know, the Appalachian warriors are defeated and this kind of bonus meteorite uh, is, uh, you know, doesn't have an easy landing. It's, uh, it's damaged, uh, you know, lands in water, uh, can't seem to adapt to um, Earth's environment. Uh, but then, thankfully, uh, is, is rescued by, uh, well, basically their branded um, kind of deep sea dive suits um locusts can i just say i love the little fish barry ketson draws in the first panel <laughs> underwater at the bottom right <laughs> it looks very shocked yeah to be cameoing. Like, what the hell's this but yeah so locusts help him um they he, he they help him to abandon his wounded soul sheath and he finds refuge in the consciousness of an unsuspecting carbon named simon carr and then simon wakes up from a nightmare yeah, and um, he has had the same nightmare for the past four months. Yeah. You know, so that's not fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so then we cut from there to uh, the, <laughs> the JLA's awfully damp and glamorous uh, cave base where the Flash is the only member present and uh, he's sitting at the, uh, the kind of grand meeting table looking uh, a little dejected. But uh, he's not alone because he hears some snapping and um, it's uh, snap a car, you know, just kind of like um, doing a bit of work. Yeah. Um, and uh, he says, uh, Flash, you know, didn't know you were on the scene. Haven't glommed any JLAs for days. So, you know, he's down with the kids, old, old snapper. <laughs> yeah. Given this story was set in the 80s, I think even in the 80s, no one was saying glommed. Did it, has anyone ever said glommed? You know, in that context. I'm going to Google glommed now. That's what I'm going to do. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Glommed. Glommed. Here we go. It's a very educational podcast. Uh, oh, so it's taken um, to the dictionary. That's where it's taken me to. Okay. Uh, glom. Past tense. Glommed. Past participle. Glommed. One. Steal. I thought he was about to glom my wallet. Two, become stuck or attached to the ice gloms onto bridge pilings. And it's an origin of the Scots uh, and English words glaum, which then became glom in the early 20th century. So Snapper's using it wrong. Snapper's uh, betrayed himself. He's a traitor, PJ. He doesn't understand how to use glom. Um, But yeah, so after that brief uh, dictionary corner, um, basically, you know, Snapper's like, well, you know, my uncle's been asking after you guys, but, you know, where are all you superheroes hanging out these days? And Flash is like, well, you know, we're not really feeling it at the moment um, after Zhong's betrayal. Uh, You know, Black Canary is really cynical anyway, so there you go. Aquaman, you know, he keeps expecting him to just swim off in disgust. Um, You know, he keeps expecting everyone to um, turn on him. So, yeah, like, uh, trust is at an all-time low, basically. Yeah. And then Snapper says, well, uh, do you think everyone can put their paranoia aside long enough to deal with this? 
And then Flash is like, oh, am I looking at this right on your screen? And Snapper says, yeah, so you're the fastest man alive. Send out the signal. And Flash presses a button in his costume, presumably. Uh, yeah, and um, it's a real, um, you know, Avengers Assemble and um, Justice League judge moment because uh, we, we get all our members uh you know kind of racing back into into the fray yeah except john who just sits in his house brooding yeah and uh i do feel for black canary a little bit because obviously flash fastest man alive uh hal has a ring that is capable of space flight uh you know aquaman is the mightiest native species on earth uh you can swim at hundreds of miles an hour and uh black canary has a motorbike yes but it's going very fast it is going very fast yes um but hey um john has a fine collection of pencils on his desk so he it's does. not all bad he does he can make some notes <laughs> and this is where we get the title and credits change the world mark wade brian augustin barry kitson storytellers michael bear inker ken lopez letterer pat carahy colorist heroic age separations peter tomassi editor uh, yeah, and uh, the gang's all back together. Yeah. And they stood with Snapper. Flash asks if there's any sign of Jean and Hal says he searched for him and can't find anything. And Black Canary says, well, he's probably told Locus everything about us now, where we live, who our friends are. I don't know what you guys do in your civilian identities, but I'm afraid to go to sleep at night. Yeah, so... But, you know, they, they still turned up. They're still trying to do the job. And uh, the big issue, you know, the thing that has drawn them all together is that um, Snapper has found three separate global disturbances linked by a common energy signature. So basically the North Pole is melting, there's a seismic disturbance in the Mariana Trench and um, there's something weird happening to the atmosphere in California's red redwood forests. So it's a real kind of um, uh, this would be a good setup for a movie PJ. Three solo missions they have to undertake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Black Canary asks what the priorities are and Flash says, well, I'd say, but then Green Lantern just interrupts him and says, well, the Redwood one is the least critical, so Flash and Black Canary go to the Arctic and Aquaman and I will do the ocean floor. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, it seems fair enough and, uh, you know, I guess they'll worry about Jean later. And then, but PJ, who's this watching, you know, watching Snapper's laptop over his shoulder? Oh, it's, uh, oh, it's Jean! And then he sees what's on the screen. He's, he's heard what they've just said. And then he goes invisible again. A snapper turns around. It's invisible, John. Um, <laughs> yeah, although uh, in that final panel, PJ, he's either turned invisible or he's like um, painted himself the exact same color as the wall behind him. Oh, and he's just standing, sneaky. He's standing very still. <laughs> and then we cut to... The, where was it? The Arctic? The Antarctic? Arctic, yeah, the North Polar. Wait, is that the Arctic or the Antarctic? Which Arctic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. No, no worries. Uh, yeah, where Jean is running, not Jean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, very tired, folks. <laughs> That's the flash. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the key, uh, PJ, the, the, you know, this is the insider knowledge. So the Flash is wearing a red costume. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... Oh, got to remember that. <laughs> and he runs fast. Uh, the Flash is running over the ocean and Black Canary is clearing glaciers by shattering them with her sonic cry as they move so that he doesn't have to, you know, go around them. But this must be terrible for the environment. 
And also, PJ, I am not a physicist, but Flash may not be running at light speed, but do you think he's running close to the speed of sound? Uh, yeah, must be. I imagine to run on water, you'd have to get up to, to at least that. Yes, I'm just wondering, like, he might conceivably be running faster than the sound of her scream. Shouldn't think about the scene too much. <laughs> I'm just saying, it could be a bit of a fun physics problem. Um, but yeah, so, you know, but Black Canary's like, well, you know, you can trust me, can't you? But apparently, apparently that makes uh, that makes Barry a little uncomfortable, and um, he's like, "Well, you know, we haven't been this close physically. I am currently holding you in my arms, and uh, you know, my fi- my fiance is already my fiance. Let me say that properly uh, is already a little suspicious." To which Black Canary is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 hang on a minute, fiance? Why hasn't that come up before now?" <laughs> Yeah, she says, you muttered that you had a girlfriend, but you didn't say you were engaged. And he says, don't be mad. And she says, don't tell me how to feel. Uh, Yes, and of course, this has touched a nerve because uh, Black Canary has only recently found out that um, her mom had an affair with... um, Starman. Starman. Thank you, PJ. Yes, one of the many Teds who (laughs) happened to be in the JSA. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so again, trust PJ. I think that might be the overarching theme at the moment. Yes, it is. But she says, you think you know somebody? And he says, I'm feeling something. And she goes, shame? He says, no, something vibrational. Uh, Maybe radio waves. And he comes to a stop and drops her in the water. Uh, Well, he also drops himself, PJ. Yeah, but he doesn't look wet in the next scene. (laughs) I guess he he kind of, he he shook himself so fast that he, Uh, he dried off. Yeah, like a really fast dog. Yeah, but uh, poor Black Canary is absolutely drenched in Arctic Ocean water, um, and she hasn't frozen to death. Yeah, and Flash points out the whole area is being irradiated with microwave energy, and there's a big locusy device that's doing the energizing. Yeah, so the Arctic is becoming, you know, quite kind of tropical. Um, don't really see what the problem of it is. You know, you know, seems quite seems quite pleasant, basically. Uh, okay. Anyway, and uh, so yeah, um, Flash is like, uh, yeah. Well, it makes sense. You know, they're not likely. They wouldn't be, say, trying to melt the ice cap with a giant hair dryer. You know, they're using um, molecular motion to kind of vibrate everything into water. So, so yeah. Um, apparently, this will be a um, what's the word, PJ? Oh yes, a catastrophic environmental disaster if this happens. Yeah. And the device is a magnetron, apparently, uh, and they can't get close to it without being cooked. And Flash says, we're, we're a little close to it as it is. And Canary's like, yeah, we got to move. And then a big man made of fire, like, tries to karate chop them. And yeah, um, like kind of blue fire as well, which yeah. is that kind of like the, the, the new exciting fire that all, all the kids are talking about. <laughs> yeah he's like we've been expecting the justice league and black canary says locus agent and he's like clever deduction we've adapted our bodies to take advantage of a changed earth and then he just attacks them also just thinking about it how is black canary's wig held in place uh clips yeah like kind of super clips because like uh i mean flash was running <laughs> you know they've just run at super speed and she's been dunked in the ocean like yeah, very good glue, I imagine. 
But they, she tries to attack the Locus agent with her sonic cry, but he says, well, we've been made invulnerable to your power. Uh, and then the Flash can't run because he's in the water. So <laughs> he needs to get up onto land to get up some speed. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they're kind of like, they're thinking fast because they're heroes. That's what they do. And uh, Flash is like, well, what's your vocal range? Like, how high can you go? And, you know, Black Canary's like, well, you know, I've been experimenting with hypersonics. So then um, Flash is like, okay, then, you know, you sing loud and high, ignore, you know, the guy on fire, and I'll add my vibrations to your sonics, which will, and this is like super science at best, will protect ourselves from the microwaves with a counter frequency long enough to turn the magnetron into scrap and they effortlessly destroy it but i do love the moment where as they're doing this he just runs over the lava man yeah because again <laughs> it's all very well being on fire but if you're like really quick just, <laughs> yeah yeah and they just they just wreck the device and, and the lava dude is like oh what have you done and then they just leave and the lava man's there going no no i had one job yeah, and, uh, you know, I have to say, setting up a counter frequency is one of my favourite ways of dealing with, you know, a sci-fi problem. We saw it in the Heaven on Earth story. That's how Kyle and Wally uh, made all the angels uh, kind of disappear. It's a very, very Doctor Who solution, isn't it? Reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. <laughs> <laughs> Take the battery out, turn it around, put it back in again, basically. <laughs> yeah. I and I also kind of like that now they've dismantled the magnetron. They're just like, um, we're just going to leave yeah, well, because we can. Yeah, Black is like, we can't arrest this guy, so yeah, let's just leave him. <laughs> yeah, because I guess now he's got to he's got to swim home. I he's suppose. stuck in the Arctic and he's on fire. What's he going to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully he had a um, maybe like a little pager or something. He can he can call call for a lift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But hey, yeah, so this is only one of um, one of many crises. So um, they've got to get moving to, you know, to help with the next one. So, of course, PJ, after that big escapade, uh, where are we going to cut to? Um, apparently Vandal Savage's headquarters. <laughs> so... uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like you do. Remember him? I, I do remember him. Uh, yeah, and apparently his base is a pyramid. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> So we, we sort of see this smoking rubble with two more presumably locust scientists, one of whom has giant wings and the other one who's just sort of flying, flying away from the rubble as his journal that he's been writing while his face comes down around his ears. <laughs> says, oh, I've been contemplating how best to confront my former allies in Locus. When a man has lived 50,000 years, he gets used to taking his time with making decisions. Unless, of course, and then he climbs out of a coffin that is untouched by all the destruction. He says, he's angry, though. Someone forces his hand. He says, the end of all we know may well be upon us, but if I go down, I drag my enemies along with me. So locusts have now made an enemy of Vandal Savage, which is a terrible idea. Yes, and I have to say, I'd almost forgotten that Vandal Savage had made a cameo in uh, in this series. Yeah, he was in issue one. Was it no issue two? Getting the uh, um, the super villains together to attack the league was that issue one? Yeah, two? the kind of um, not injustice gang. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and I also do really like the idea of him huddling in a sarcophagus, but also with like a little notepad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of course he'd be working. He'd be working with like a quill or something. He wouldn't be using uh, something modern. Issue two, he was in. I just flipped back. There we go. There we go. 
So yeah, so PJ, um, from our brief um, savage interlude, we're uh, we're under the sea. We're going to catch up with Aquaman and uh, Hal, and and we are on one of my absolute favourite pages from this entire book. <laughs> so, Can't think why, PJ. Oh yeah, I know, but it's per- it's so perfect. So um, Hal's in a bubble, but he's also built sort of speakers into it so that it can translate Aquaman's underwater speech into English into the bubble for him. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. It's great, a good move. And uh, he says, lead the way. I'll take point once we hit the bottom, and then I'll need you to. And Aquaman just says, why are you always giving orders? And Hal says, well, I'm team leader. And there's just this big pause, and then Aquaman just bursts out laughing. <laughs> and Hal's like, what's so funny? And Aquaman says, you're not the leader. Flash is the leader. Sean Canary and I talked about this weeks ago. It's obvious to us. And uh, he's, yeah, he's like, you know, well, you know, you might be wondering why Flash lets you boss uh, us around. We just figured he was letting you be you. So, uh, yeah, probably the perfect way to uh, deflate Hal's ego, to be honest. Yeah. And then Hal's bubble starts cracking because he's like, what? What?" (laughs) As Aquaman swims away, he says, careful, we're at the deepest spot on Earth. Pressure's uncanny. Pump up the willpower. And then he just goes, leader. And I love it. Because I, I, I love Hal Jordan as a character. I really do. But he is a pompous ass a lot of the time. And he just made this assumption that he was the leader of the JLA. And uh, I just love this moment where Aquaman corrects him on it and takes him down a peg. It's beautifully done. Yeah, and uh, it's also nice to see, um, you know, we, we've seen a pairing of a Green Lantern and Aquaman in a very deep spot of the ocean. Do you remember that exact moment, PJ? Yeah, it was uh, um, New World Order. Uh, no, 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 oh, no. no. Um, when um, the Ultramarine Corps gave Aquaman the bends. Yes, indeed. There we go. What's a, what's a Shaggy Man, and am I old enough to know? <laughs> That's it. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it, you know again, it's nice that uh, you know someone in the DC writers' pool knew that pressure. At the, at the bottom of the ocean is very powerful and, you know, a Green Lantern can survive, but they really have to concentrate. <laughs> what, when was that? That would have been around the same time as this? Oh, I can tell you exactly, PJ. Hang oh, on, no, that was... On. Yeah, not far off. I've got my spreadsheet. Hang on. So that was uh, the... Se- uh, no, no, no. Wait. No, I can do this. I can do this, PJ. Um... Executive action. So that was uh, December 1998. So like two months. This is September. September So three months between the two. Okay. Yeah. So the Simpsons did it first. Mark Wade did it first, (laughs) basically. Yeah. But uh, now that moment's got passed and and Hal does seem to bounce back and get over it pretty quickly, to be fair. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's the man without fear. So he's not afraid of a little criticism, surely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the big locust kind of sci-fi device down here is um, drilling into the Earth's crust. So uh, to create, according to Aquaman, an instant underwater volcano, which will cause tidal waves around the entire Pacific Rim. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. And uh, Aquaman says, we've got to shut it down, but even I can't really see down here. Can you put out more light? And as Hal puts out more light, a massive tentacle smacks him around. And there's just a giant kraken monster there. That's just every time Hal tries to 
do something, he makes more light, and this thing hits him again. So he's now struggling to focus. Yeah, um, so, you know, poor Hal is very much out of his depth, and, uh, you know, he can't, you know, the, the thing keeps attacking, it doesn't give him, all he can do is defend, it doesn't give him long enough to come up with a counterattack. But Aquaman's like, uh, there are no big fish down here, there are only, hmm... Little, well, you know, he's thinking little fish. He doesn't say it, but then we see a ton of li- of little fish. So Aquaman's like, "Hmm, let's put it to the test." And um, yeah, uh, basically, hundreds of small, disgusting nightmare creatures from the bottom of the ocean start swarming over Hal uh, at Aquaman's uh, command. Basically. Yeah, Hal asks what he's doing, and Aquaman says, "Look, neither of us trust each other right now, but we need to put that aside, or we're not going to survive." When I give the signal, follow my command. And Hal is now buried in tiny creatures. And then Aquaman just signals, and Hal apparently flies out of the uh, the area he is towards the device. The creature attacks him, but the creature's claw just passes through Hal, and it destroys the device for them. And then Hal flies back to the massive bottom feeders, and it turns out it was just a ring projection that he had sent out. And he was fine inside a cocoon of creatures. Yeah, so this is all Aquaman's master plan. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they you know, mission accomplished. They go to leave. Um, and they're like, well, what about the beast? Uh, and Hal's like, well, you know, we've got other fish to throw. Oh, um, I mean, other problems to solve. Uh, <laughs> so he's learning a bit of sensitivity, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. This, this, Sorry, this plan I, of Aquaman's, I, I absolutely love, where he basically covered Hal in creatures that could withstand the depths down there so that for a brief period Hal could survive without his ring. I have no idea if that would actually work or not, but I love it. Yeah. Um, but I was going to ask PJ, what's the implication here? Like, is this creature... Because Aquaman was like, well, there are no big monsters down here. So is the implication that this is a locus yeah, person? Yeah, that's my assumption. Yeah. Not necessarily a person, but certainly something of their creation. It's got a real kind of um, classic mole man monster it kind of vibe. It does. It is very Kirby, isn't it? Yeah, I like this a lot, actually. And uh, yeah, I mean, frankly, like, if Aquaman had just turned around and gone, oh, yeah, I see these things all the time. They're a pain in the yeah. ass. Because like, <laughs> the ocean is a terrifying place it really um, is although actually flipping through you never really get a good look at this creature in its entirety you no. just get bits of its head and a claw here and there and again I, I like i like something that has a bit of mystery to it as well mm, mm. i mean i guess it, 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 it you know it's a big the ocean is a big place it would be wild if this was completely unrelated to locus and just it just happened to be a thing that was there but uh you know live and let live there's no need to kill it so yeah. they're they're on their way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we then cut back to the cave where Snapper is typing them a message that he's going to print out and leave somewhere, I guess, because it's the eighties, <laughs> so it's not an email yet. <laughs> but well, he was at, he was he was at least ten years ahead of his time. Before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's he's trying to warn them about something that Simon has told him not to tell them, but instead Simon sneaks up behind him, smashes his head into the computer screen, and then just sort of stands over his unconscious bloody form. There is a lot of blood coming out of his face. <laughs> mm. I'm sure he's okay, though. Yeah, he's fine. Probably. I'm sure he parachuted to safety at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then we cut to the... Uh, 
the giant redwood forest in California where the JLA are meeting up again. And they've all busted up their machines and they confirm to each other, yeah, Locust had a guy protecting ours. And Hal's like, oh, ours must have been a Locust thing as well then. I'm going to, PJ, I'm, I'm going to Google something. What now. are you going to Google? Well, I'm going to Google because Black Canary refers to Locust's kind of mutated agents as um, altered states people. Mm. And I was thinking, like, that's another thing that dates it. When did that movie come out? And I just Googled <laughs> it. 1980. There you go. There we go. So it all, it all, it all adds up, PJ. This is definitely happening in September 1982. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, why not? Everything Wade and Augustine do here in the script is thought through. Uh, anyway, so yeah, um, you know, they're like, hey, what are what are locusts up to? That's kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they're like, well, they said something about, you know, changing the earth. You know, that's why they've taken on weird bodies. And we saw in previous episodes, they were experimenting with transferring their consciousness into weird, like, kind of crazy monster mash bodies. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we don't know, is for sure, Anx. They're yeah. up to something. And Canary says, you know, we've got no weird guys guarding this machine, though. And Aquaman says, oh, no, have a look again. And they see Jean sort of fiddling with the device. And so Hal, Dinah, and, and Arthur all charge into battle, and Hal's like, well, if we had any lingering doubts, we... I don't know what this machine does, but they're using Jean to guard it. And then we see a panel of them charging at Jean, Flash staying back, and there's a big unconscious man on the floor that clearly Jean has taken out. And this is... It sort of made me think that this this is one of the weird things about this book, isn't it? Because, obviously, anyone reading this book already knows that Jean is not a traitor, Mm. that Jean is a good guy, so it's hard to get the suspense out of that. So it's sort of having to play it as a, look, we all know Jean's not a bad guy, the League don't know that, but we're just going to show you this stuff up front now. And so it shows that Jean has already taken out the Locust Guard at this device. Uh, Yeah, yeah, and um, it's also, I kind of like the um, implication that like of all the potential bodies that locusts could put themselves in, clearly based on Appalachian science. Like, the kind of, like, generic, chunky purple one. Yeah. That's, like, that's like the kind of default, like, the kind of, you know, I don't want to be a giant golden bird today. I think I'm just going to wear something comfortable. I'm going to be, like, a kind of reverse Hulk, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, the League don't see this guy, so they think, oh, we better take down Jean. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, Flash uh, kind of being, um, you know, the voice of reason points out that, like, uh, Jean historically has not told them stuff. You know, he's kept, you know, every week he seemed to, like, reveal a new power that they weren't aware of. So, you know, Flash is like, well, hang on, let's not be hasty. For all we know, he could have death vision or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so um, Flash goes, well, let's let's use the one thing we do know to our advantage and that's that um, he hates fire. So Flash starts running in a circle and creates a ring of fire around him. Yep. And uh, Jean seems surprised to see them. And he asks what Flash is doing. And then Hal creates a big green fist and punches him. And then Aquaman gets in on it and punches him. And Jean is shouting, no, extinguish the fire, the machine. But they're all just focused on attacking him at this point. And then the giant redwoods go up in flames. Hal just manages to get a bubble around everyone, so that's good. And John says, I was trying to tell you to keep the fire away. I was trying to shut the machine down safely, 
It was pumping methane gases into the atmosphere. Not only are they deadly to human life, they're highly flammable. And the whole forest goes up in CGI fire. Uh, yeah, um, early early kind of um, Photoshop-y kind of filter effects on display here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting weird nostalgia looking at it. Yeah, for like the the comics we already looked at from like they did this a few times earlier on in the JLA, didn't they? In the, in the first few issues, they had a number of these things and titles using this, and Midsummer's Nightmare did it as well, didn't it? So. Oh God, did it? Yeah. yeah. Oh God, yes. Yeah. No. Do you remember in um there was uh, I'm I'm trying to think of two examples, but like um in the Authority, where which was kind of debuting around this time as well, the doors like the kind of teleportation portals they'd open. I think, I could be mistaken, I think they were a computer-generated image which was dropped into the artwork. Yeah. I think, I could be mistaken. And wasn't there a Superman story around the, t- around the millennium that featured a brainiac who was entirely CGI? Oh, was, yes. Like, superimposed over the artwork? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, sort of in the... Um when they did the big creator shuffle on the Superman titles, wasn't it? Just after the guys had been there since like the late eighties, you Dan Jurgens, Louise Simonson's had left and they brought in like Jeff Loeb and Mark Miller and people like that. And Ed McGuinness, yeah. yeah, when he first came on the books. I just I just you know, again, that's so charmingly quaint mm. in hindsight. Because like, yeah, it didn't look good, but it's an interesting experiment in itself. Yes. Yeah. But hey, but yeah, we did it. We made it. End of the episode, PJ. That's, that's the end of the issue. Yeah. The yeah. California's on fire. <laughs> yeah, and everything is fine. <laughs> if you're locus. Um Yeah, so uh there we go, PJ. That's the end of the episode. And also the end of the issue, rather, and also uh the end of the third quarter of our year. Yes. Three issues to go. Way, very weird way of saying it, but I think it's all downhill from here now. In in terms of barreling towards the end, not in terms of plot stuff, because there's great stuff coming in the last three. Yes, issues. I apologise. <laughs> not not in terms of quality, but just kind of um, yeah, just in terms of like there's a certain end gamey kind of vibe coming in yes. now. And and I do feel that our heroes are still mostly clueless. Oh yeah, as to what the bad guys are up to. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, they they've sort of starting to get some of the pieces, but not enough to see the whole picture yet. Oh, PJ, sorry. Um, for anyone at home who who wants to look it up themselves, um, Google Brainiac thirteen, which I believe is the incarnation that appeared around the millennium, and uh, I think there are more pictures of him just drawn with regular artwork. You know, regular kind of pen and ink. But um, the panels where he is completely CGI are absolutely glorious, like uh, in a in a very quaint way. Like uh, it looks like something out of reboot. I was it's going amazing. to say because I've just pulled up the DC Wiki entry where they've used one of those panels for his main image, and it, I was I was going to say reboot. It looks like reboot. Oh, bless. Oh, I'm getting so much nostalgia, PJ. <laughs> so, <laughs> so much warm feelings. Um, but yes, sorry, I'm rambling, PJ. What do you think of the issue? I mean, I I love this issue. I think the the action sequences are great because also what's what's good about the action sequences where you've got Flash and Canary in the Arctic and then Aquaman and Green Lantern on the ocean floor. Even though these people don't trust each other at the moment, they're able to come together as a team and just over 
outthink Locus in both cases quite quickly. It's not too difficult for them. And and I like that. That sort of you get that moment before things really kick off of seeing the league actually, you know, as a threat to the bad guys, which you need. Yes. You need that. Um as I say though, I also love that moment where Aquaman points out to Hal that he's not the team leader. <laughs> because it's also such a Hal Jordan move to assume he was, you know. <laughs> yeah. I and obviously, you know, outsmarting Locus speaks, you know, very highly of our our heroes. But um, it also it also kind of doesn't paint Locus in the in the best in the no. best light. I th- I think they're also a little incompetent. Oh yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a great little issue. Um, it's yeah, it's fun. It's got some great moments in it, and again, it's it's setting up the end of the story in in some absolutely glorious ways. Mm. No, agreed. It's it's fun. It's a very um it's a very um kind of fast paced issue, as evidenced by the fact I think we 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 recapped it very quickly because it moves at quite a pace. Mm. It's very um it's very like uh it's not hanging around now. Very um action action orientated. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna talk more about this Hal being leader thing because as I say, it's my favourite moment in the issue because of the way Aquaman tells him where he just bursts out laughing, <laughs> just flat out says, "Why are you giving orders?" You're not the leader. It's brilliant. But if, when reading this book for the first time, I hadn't read any classic 60s Justice League stories, and I made the natural assumption just from the book on a you know surface-level reading that Hal was the leader because he mm. acts like he's the leader. He just takes charge and thinks he's the leader. When you know that Hal isn't, and if you go back and the very first issue where they fight Starro in the 60s says, Flash, team leader. Um, so people who'd read those knew. But when oh, you, interesting! Right, right. When when you know that Flash is considered the team leader and Hal is just being Hal about everything, you can see it. In, there are moments where Flash just seems to take charge, and and Hal let sort of does step back when he does, and Flash is like, right, we got to do it this way, and it's a very clinical way of doing it. He's not barking orders in the way Hal does, but he just takes charge of situations in very subtle ways throughout Mm. the book so that when you reread it knowing that Hal isn't actually the leader of the Justice League it it, yeah it's really cleverly done I love it it is funny like have you personally read classic Justice League adventures which I, I guess kind of feature an original version of the Magnificent Seven. Like, you know, have you read comics where both Hal and, say, Superman are serving on the team at the same time? Uh, not as many. I've read some of those 60s stories where, um, only a few of them, only a small handful, but where Superman and Batman are members of the team, but they don't turn up to any missions because <laughs> they're too busy. <laughs> it's just so DC could say they were on the team and sell books. <laughs> um, but I haven't read that, so I haven't read that many of the original versions. I've read some of the modern retellings, like Year One here and, and a couple of others here and there. But um, no, I haven't read a great many of stories with Hal and Superman. Classic stories where Hal and Superman are on the team together. Well, this is just a thing I'm wondering about because, like, obviously Superman casks a very long mm. shadow. And I think it would be hard to have Superman actively serving on a team and for him not to be in charge yeah like not because superman is a kind of you know he's not an authoritarian character he's not the guy who really gives orders but he kind of 
we saw it in Morrison's run. Like he kind of leagues by example in a weird way. Like he's such a symbol that people can't help but rally behind him. And I, I do just kind of wonder how like Hal has historically acted around that. Yeah. You know, you know, a man who clearly thinks highly of himself versus Superman who just effortlessly proves that he is kind of great. Yeah, I think it's similar to those Avengers stories where like either Wasp or Black Widow or someone was the team leader, but Captain America was still on the Avengers and would just sort yeah. of be who people would look to in battle and things like that. So Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a nice dynamic to, to play with. Because in a weird way, like, um, you know, because I, I always liked the comics where, say, Wasp was in charge, you mm. know, that sort of thing, because you know, she, was, she was very kind of like tactically minded. And, and in a weird way, I don't really think of Superman as being that like he's yeah he, he's more kind of like trusting everyone to do the right thing by i guess he's like um he'd be like a manager who doesn't really manage you know well, you see that in jla avengers don't you where superman sort of seeds leadership to the, the the group to captain america for the final battle because captain america is the one who's got that tactical brain that yeah. superman recognizes he doesn't have but again that's sort of leadership in its own way because it's him saying I'm not the guy for the job you are, and I'm putting you there. Yeah, and 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 it's funny, isn't it? Because you know we we we've talked about this at length, but you know we're kind of you know my my journey into the JLA was kind of backwards in a way. It was through Morrison's Morrison's version of the team. Hmm. So of course for me, Kyle and Wally were the definitive versions of green lantern and flash yeah and me as, too as, and they still are so <laughs> yeah as these kind of like junior members of the team um and it's hard for me to imagine like a team dynamic that has hal and barry on it like you know kind of like the wider jla i feel like the justice league we're seeing in this comic is kind of like it's for jla but not as you know it you know that's the whole point like they're still in their infancy so it still feels weird for me to not have Superman around, not have Batman around, not have Wonder Woman around, for example. Um, I, I think you you need those younger, less experienced characters, don't you? To, just for the, the whole team dynamic works better when you've got that in there, which is obviously year one is kind of, they're all younger, less experienced characters at the moment. But then when you get to the Morrison one, you get Kyle and Wally very much. Wally's got experience, but he's still younger, whereas Kyle is sort of doesn't really have the experience either. And they fill that role beautifully, but there's still you've still got Green Lantern and the Flash there doing their thing as well. Mm. And I think I know, um, you know, obviously uh, Barry and Hal had uh, a much bigger legacy than Kyle and Wally, and, and certainly as time goes on, that becomes more apparent. You know, they Kyle is but one of like eleven Green Lanterns now. Um, and probably so, I, I feel the one who in this obviously I'm not reading the comics, I don't know for sure, but Kyle's the one who I think has drawn the shortest straw because he just seems to be now almost the forgotten Green Lantern, which is a tragedy in my eyes. Very yeah, very much so. Because again, even in the pantheon of Green Lanterns, you've got, you know, obviously Hal who gets to be the kind of, you know, the the all round hero guy. He's, you know, your Ryu or your Mario. He's just for well but you know, I was gonna say well balanced, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's just hero man. Then you get Guy who gets to be the asshole, and you get John who gets to be the more sensible one. You know, the voice of wisdom. And then there's Kyle, and it's like 
Ah, uh, sadly, we don't need. We I need Kyle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you sadly, and I need Kyle. <laughs> but sadly, we don't need Kyle in that context. Um, but it is funny because obviously, like you know, the whole point of this series is like a love letter to these original characters. Mm. And I've very much enjoyed. I am very much enjoying the series. It's nice to spend time with them, but I can't shake this feeling that, like for me at least, Barry is a really nice guy, but I'm fine. But he's a little boring compared to Wally. Yes, and like Hal is like you know he's clearly a very heroic character, but he's still to me he's no Kyle. So it's interesting. Like I don't know. I don't even really know where I'm going with this. But it's like we're spending time with the quote unquote proper league yeah and i'm missing my incarnation of like flash and 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 hal i, I know exactly what you mean Sorry, i love barry and i love hal i've i've read a lot of comics with both characters and i do have a real soft spot for both of them especially how they were depicted in this era when it was tales like this where it was like right we're going back in time to look at them them in their heyday as it were um but for me the most interesting thing either of them was was a legacy to live up to yeah that from and and for Wally and Kyle to try and live up to those legacies gave so many writers so much scope with what and things to play with and bringing Barry and Hal back just takes all of that away and leaves you with these less interesting versions of Flash and Green Lantern in my eyes as the main characters yeah and it, and and it's funny isn't it because like if you do the magnificent 7 you know, today. I mean, obviously, you know, the movies had their take on that, mm. and um, the New Fifty Two did a, did a take on that as well. But it's it's interesting that, of course, you're putting Hal and Barry back in this pantheon, and you start to wonder about group dynamics because, played as they're originally written, Barry is a perfectly decent guy who's very sensible very reliable and very trustworthy and Hal's a bit of like a cocky straightforward hero guy mm. and like those two personalities as a group don't necessarily st- do they stand out enough are they is it dynamic and interesting enough when you consider the whole seven and it's interesting to me that in the movies whichever version you look at it they're doing Barry as the Flash but he's kind of more like a Wally yeah that sort of thing. And I don't know. It's like if, if if I had to do an incarnation of a league now, I'd be thinking like, well, I want a good spread of characters. Um, do you need a Hal character when you've got a Superman? You know, would it be better to have a Kyle, who's the more anxious and less self-assured one, or a John, you know, who's more kind of like an old hand, trusted, you know, like a like a wiser, more mature character? Do you know what I'm saying? It's almost like kind of Superman and Hal are almost feeling they're almost filling the exact kind of storytelling niche because yeah. they're both just heroic man. Yeah, yeah, completely. Heck, even even making Aquaman like kind of grumpy and cantankerous in Morrison's run also makes him kind of stand out as well. Yeah, well, you also have in in Morrison's run and then in the the subsequent Wade run, which played it up a bit more. He's a king as well. So he, yeah, you know, which gives you something else to play with. But I think, yeah, in in this version of the league where it's just these original five, yeah, that's fine. But as you say, I think once you get other characters in there, then it's quite easy to just lose Barry and Hal in the shuffle, really. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, and obviously those characters, like, you know, mean a lot to hmm. a lot of people. And and obviously we can't take away from the fact is that they were published for, a, they were in publication for a long time. You know, that pe- it clearly worked to some extent. It's just, um, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting in a way. I, I would be fascinated to read a a more classic Justice League story. Maybe not even from the 60s, you know, maybe come from like the 70s or the early 80s. I'd love to know what... Mm. a justice league adventure looked like back then because i i've got a pretty good sense of what avengers comics looked like back then and everyone was always arguing <laughs> like yeah. constantly bickering and you know conflict equals drama equals yeah. engagement so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think the problem at the moment is a lot a lot of the leaguers are very nice and earnest people yeah true which is not a bad thing and i am enjoying the time i spend with them but Long term, does it does it make for most dynamic interpersonal drama? I I don't know. Hmm. Well, we've only got three more issues with this team. Oh, indeed, yes, and I I don't I don't I, yeah sorry don't want to come across as too negative. It was more like just an observation. I no no I, I agree with you, but I'm like oh we've we've actually only got three more issues of this team, so we'll never really find out. <laughs> we'll never really find out. No, and who knows? Maybe maybe we'll 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 we'll, we'll arrive at something weird down the line. You know, you you know, in our future kind of you know visits into the DC universe, maybe we we will see some of those adventures. Yeah, yeah, we we almost certainly will, I think. Um, but yeah, PJ, like, is there is there anything more to say? Uh, just the um, you know, more great moments next issue that I can remember. So that's exciting. Looking forward to that. Yes, I think there is going to be um a lot of a lot of exciting superhero action going forward. I, I look yeah. forward to seeing. <laughs> seeing where it all goes um well i guess with that in mind pj um i should say a massive thank you to gav mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork and to elliot red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune justice and is there anything you'd like to shout about pj yes this week there is um the monday this drops is the 2nd of october on yes. wednesday <laughs> the 4th of october the first episode of Safe Space Season 2 is premiering on YouTube and the Lawbreaker Games channel uh, run by Vince Hunt. It's a tabletop role-playing game set in a sci-fi horror universe. I am one of the players uh, alongside the aforementioned Gavin Mitchell plus Jim Bamfield and Lizzie Boyle, um, all comics creators, and we're playing um, a brilliant horror sci-fi role-playing game. Uh, which we record and put up on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. I think we've, um, I've really enjoyed playing season two, so I, w- I would hugely appreciate if people check it out. Uh, and yeah, Lawbreaker Radio on YouTube. First episode of season two drops on Wednesday. You can catch up on season one there already if you want to. I'm, I'm very excited, PJ. It's gonna be good. It's it gonna is. Be good. Uh, and I guess if I've got something to shout out about, um, it is not technically something I have done, but. I the Toxic Avenger movie has debuted at Fright Fest in America. Uh, it does not yet have a release date, but uh, I know that some review sites are starting to um, get previews of it. And I think, although I am not certain, just before we started recording, uh, I saw posted that there are there is a trailer out there. Ooh. So. Yes, while I was not involved in the production of the Toxic Avengers movie, uh, I did write the Toxic Crusaders video game, which is going to be coming out around the same time. So I'm intrigued to see what they have done with the movie. Very exciting. 
And I think we have confirmed that Peter Dinklage is playing the Toxic Avenger. Yes, they have confirmed that. I was aware of that. Yes. So, mm, exciting times. I, lo- I look forward to seeing what they do with it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so on that note, uh, it has been a delight uh, a delight and a pleasure, PJ. It's good to be back on the uh, Super Horse. Um, Speedy the Super Horse? Uh, I can't remember the horse's Was name. Is that the name? <laughs> yeah, let's, oh, no one's going to correct me. It's fine. Uh, PJ, would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? But which one of us is the podcast's leader? We don't know. I think I am. PJ lets me think that. (laughs) 